0: Up as we make our way through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Yes, airplane go by. Second Chronicles 32, we left off at verse 20, King Hezekiah. Let's pick it up now. Because of this King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah the son of Amos prayed and cried out to heaven. And then the angel I'm sorry then the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor leader and captain in the camp of the Assyrians. And so he returned shamefaced to his own land. And when he had gone into the temple of his God, some of his own offspring struck him down <laughs> with the edge of the sword there. Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others, and guided them on every side. And many brought gifts to the Lord in Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations thereafter. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would just calm our heart and our mind, give us peace, Lord, that only comes from you, that passes all understanding. And so, Lord, we lift up this nation, we lift up the people of this nation, and we ask for common sense to come back. And we ask for, Lord, your will to be done. And so, Lord, tonight as we look at Hezekiah and Manasseh, That you would strengthen us, Lord, and give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we stopped last week. Sorry, it was like right in the middle of the war sieges gathering all around Jerusalem, and I stopped it. And we had to be continued, right? That's where we are. We've got the Assyrians and Shinecharib, and we talked about there are always going to be Shinecharibs in your life. You're always going to be besieged by something. And Hezekiah, for the most part, has been a good king. He'll reign about 29 years. He is doing what is right in the sight of the Lord. And so he sees this massive army, and so what does he do? Verse 20. Now because of this, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah the son of Amos, prayed and cried out to heaven. They brought their petition, their request unto God. They saw this ginormous army out there. They knew that they were not going to be able to defeat that by human means. There was no human way out of this situation. And so by crying out to the Lord, they put it in the Lord's hand. Why? Because it's his city. It's his people. <laughs> Greatest thing you could do, Lord, this is your problem. And then everyone wants to go, it ain't my problem. I didn't get into it. Remember that conversation with Moses? Those are some of my favorite. But it says here that the, he gets Isaiah the prophet and they pray. And verse 21 tells us a little bit more of a compact version than the book of Kings. But nevertheless, then the Lord sent an angel just a run-of-the-mill angel, not a seraphim, not anything that's not Daniel, uh, not... Uh, I'll, I'll get it out here. Michael, thank you. Who? Just shout out in, any angel names over here. Or Gabriel or any... Nothing mighty like that. Just Bob. Bob the angel. It's like they're up in heaven and they got the jumble screen on and the Lord says, which one wants to go down and fight for me? And out of the back, walks up, just no name, just an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader, and captain in the camp of the king of Assyria. Now, 2 Kings 19 tells us that the angel, (laughs) unknown, normal, run of the angel, cut down 185,000 people one. (laughs) Don't you love it when the Bible says that we have more on our side than that the enemy will ever have on their side? One angel, 185,000, died at that. Against all odds, against every expectation except the expectation of faith, the Assyrian army was turned back without having even a shot and arrow from Jerusalem. Don't you love that? The Lord took care of the entire thing. Why? Because its leader prayed. He got his people to pray. Now the prophet Hosea talks about this and he says, Yet I have mercy on the house of Judah and will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow nor by sword or by battle or by horses or by horsemen. The Lord was going to take care of this now in that same verse it says that he that shanecherib he returned shamefaced to his own land the shame seemed to have been uh, come cuz think about it nobody has stopped the assyrians up to this point they have literally just bulldozed their way through every even the northern tribes just every nation that has come in front of them they have just wiped them out and why is that well they were putting their trust in the little G gods and not the God of the Bible. And now they finally come against the God of the Bible. Uh, let, Let me read to you from Shenechereb's own writing of this event. It says, I attacked Hezekiah of Judah, who had not subjected himself to me, and he took 46 fortresses, forts and small cities, I carried away captive 200,150 people, big and small, male and female, multitude of horses, young bulls, uh, donkeys and camels. And Hezekiah himself, I locked up in Jerusalem like a bird in a cage. I put up banks against the city, or ramparts. I separated his cities from those inhabitants, and I took prisoners from his realm and gave them to then the kings uh, of, and the kings and the gods of his land. Don't you love how politicians write a kind of different history than the actual history that happened? Sennacherib goes back and he doesn't write that he takes Jerusalem, he simply says that he cages uh, Hezekiah. Now, this writing, you can see for yourself in the museum there in London. It's wonderful. Uh, But he goes back shamefaced. No mention of 185,000 troops gone. But it does say this. And when he had gone into his temple of his God, some of his own offspring struck him down with the edge of the sword. So, Shenechereb was taken out by his own family, uh, it is said that uh, because of so much shame was brought against the Assyrian nation that the Jews won, and they, they, they just couldn't handle that. And so the offspring of uh took him out. Now, Jewish tradition tells us, and again, you have to take that for what it's worth. Jewish tradition is that when he comes back, he, is, he thinks that he's going to go into the temple because his gods haven't had enough sacrifice. And so he was going to, like many people in the day, sacrifice one of his kids to the little G gods. And then his kids got wind of it and then killed him. That's Jewish tradition. I like that better. But we won't know that till we're in heaven, and then when we're in heaven, we won't care. So all we know is that God now isn't taking the southern tribe away, the northern tribe is gone. Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Shenecherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others, and guided them on every side. And many brought gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations thereafter. And in those days Hezekiah was sick and near death, and he prayed to the Lord, and he spoke to him, and he gave him a sign. Keep your place here, let's turn to Second Kings chapter twenty. It's the only time in Chronicles that we've gone backwards, but I want to let you see what's going on in the life of Hezekiah. 2 Kings 20, and then Manasseh is in 21 for reference in a little bit. Now, in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and he said, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Now... Um, I don't know about you, but that's a gift from God, isn't it? You look at it in a bad way, but I think this is God's grace upon a leader that has done such a wonderful job in Israel that God says, listen, it's not going to be unexpected. I'm going to send the prophet. He's going to tell you to get your house in order, and then you're going to die. Great. Well, then he turned his face towards the wall, and he prayed to the Lord saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I've walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And all of that is true. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord. The God of David and your father, I have heard your prayer and I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. And on the third day you shall go from the house of the Lord. And I will add to your days 15 years. And I will deliver you from this city and from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my name's sake, for my sake of my servant David. Now pause. What does that tell us? That tells us that the chronicler puts this event after Assyria when, in fact, it it is before. So in chronological order, this happens before the king of Assyria is coming. And then Isaiah said, take some lumps of figs. And so they took them and laid them on the boil, and he recovered. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what is the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day? And so Isaiah said, this is the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing which he has spoken, that the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go backwards. And so Hezekiah said, it's easy for the shadow to go down 10 degrees, but let the shadow go backwards 10 degrees. And so Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backwards, which he had done on the sundial of Ahaz. And then it talks about how after he is healed from that, he receives this group. Well, let's just read at verse 12, and then we'll go back. And at that time, Baradoc Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, now this is that new ruling power that's coming up, sent letters and presents to Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Now I'm going to, we'll turn back now to 2 Chronicles. I'll fill you in on this. And as he receives this presence from Babylon, he accepts these envoys from Babylon, and he shows him everything, all of the weaponry, all of the gold, all of the, the... And then Isaiah goes, what did you do? Why did you do that? And so that's where we are here in verse 24. Now back to 2 Chronicles 32. In those days, Hezekiah was sick near death, And he prayed to the Lord, and he spoke to him, and he gave him a sign. So that was the sign. But note with me that Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown to him. For his heart was lifted up, therefore wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. And so... That is the exchange between the Babylonians. His heart is lifted up, and Isaiah is there to tell him, you better knock it off because the wrath of God is going to come upon you. Well, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon him in the days of Hezekiah, which leads us to believe it is coming, but not in the days of Hezekiah. And so Hezekiah had very great riches and honor and he made himself treasuries for silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices and for shields and for all kinds of desirable items, storehouses for harvesting of grain, of wine, of oil, for stalls and all kinds of livestock and folds of flocks. Moreover, he provided for himself cities and possessions of flocks and herds in abundance, For God had given him very much property. And this same Hezekiah also stopped up the water outlet of the upper Gihon and brought the water by tunnel, hence Hezekiah's tunnel that you can see today, on the west side of the city of David. And so Hezekiah prospered in all of his works. However, the ambassadors and the princes of Babylon whom they sent to him inquired about the wonder in which he had done in the land, And that God withdrew from him in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. Now, the rest of the acts of Hezekiah, his goodness, indeed, they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet. And they are the son of Amos and in the book of the kings and they are of Judah. And so Hezekiah rested with his father and they buried him in the upper tombs of the sons of David And all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem honored him at his death. And then Manasseh, his son, reigned in his stead. Again, there is no doubt that Hezekiah started out as a good godly king. However, at the end of his days, some problems arose, did it not? His heart was lifted up in pride. But something else happened. And it was that account of him crying out to the Lord. And remember how many years the Lord promised him? Fifteen years, let's remember that in a minute when we get to Manasseh. This is something that we need to always remember, that time and age doesn't necessarily make us any better. Consider that time doesn't do anything but pass away. Time is fleeting. And so too with Hezekiah, he would have been better off to just die than have this next one come on the scene. Chapter 33. His name is Manasseh. And he was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Verse 1 tells us that Manasseh was 12 years old. Now listen, I'm going to do a little math, but it's a little easy. God gave him 15 more years, his dad, Hezekiah. That means that Manasseh was boring, uh, boring. He won't be boring. He was born during the time of the uh, extra time that God gave him. Now, remember, God will oftentimes give us what we want. It isn't what we should have. It is something that we desire. And listen, the nation would have been so much better without Manasseh. I don't want to go too off on this, but later on, the prophets will tell us the major reason why God sent the Babylonians was because of the sins of Manasseh and because he caused his nation to go down. Listen, when you've got a reign, as we will see for that long of time, we're going to cut his reign in half about 26, 27 years. If you reign for 27 years evil and you cause your people to be in that much wickedness, that's what God said eventually I needed to step into it. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. So Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. And I want you to note with me that God holds accountable, yes, even a 12-year-old here. We oftentimes have parents say, oh, well, my kids are this age. Listen, in God's eyes at 12 years old and in the Bible, you started your apprenticeship and became a man. The Bible doesn't know anything about a teenager. That is a modern invention. Everybody got that? Because we think and we want to say, well, they're a kid and they're not held accountable. Not here. Manasseh is held accountable And even at the age that he is, we're going to see next week, Lord willing, Josiah comes on the throne at eight, and he will do right as well. Now, I want to set this this stage because we're about to look at a man that controls a nation for that amount of time, for 55 years. So Hezekiah, the Bible says, there was none like him before, even to Solomon, or after. So God considered Hezekiah one of the better kings. Everybody got that? Even with his failure, which tells us that even the best of men could have problems. And I don't know about you, but again, I I, kind of share this. I read a lot about uh, uh, different events that are going on and people's quotes, and I got to tell you, I've been real disappointed by some so-called Christian leaders in this nation over the last year, who I would consider them to be godly men and they are doing some really dumb things or saying really dumb things that I would never consider them saying or doing. And yet, that's where Hezekiah was. So now Hezekiah has his son Manasseh. His name means causing to forget. Now that could be a positive (laughs) or a negative. Do you see that? Causing to forget. Who calls calls their kid that? Maybe Manasseh was called that because his dad wanted to forget what he had done against the Lord. Could be. As we will see, Manasseh, oh, he's a piece of work. So these additional 15 years brought Judah, one of the worst kings, And the Bible, that's why the Bible talks about Manasseh. Now, before I get any further, and I don't want to blow the the whole account here, because only Chronicles gives us this section of Scripture. If you read 2 Kings, you will never get the full, complete picture of Manasseh. Manasseh becomes one of the greatest examples of redemption and God's grace upon a human life next to Paul the Apostle. No other man, as you will see, is like Manasseh. And I mean, literally, no one else in the pages of Scripture is like Manasseh. Paul comes close, but Paul was not a king. So, how would you like to have a ruler reign for 55 years knowing who this man is? But I will tell you that we break his reign into two, and uh, Jewish tradition tells us that it was roughly around 26, 27 years was the break between his, uh, his um, reign, and we'll see why in a minute. So let's see what the Holy Spirit tells us about good old Manasseh. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. We're going to see in a minute. He says, even more than the nations. How do you do more than the nations whom the Lord was removing before Moses brought them and Joshua brought them into the land? you got to be pretty wicked to to do more than the pagans. Now, (laughs) here is Manasseh. He was raised by a godly father. And he is what? He's wicked. What does that say to us, parents? That you can, and that's why I made this point, that Hezekiah, the Bible says, was one of the best godly men in the Bible. So even one of the most godly men in the Bible, his son, could be such an evil man. And it has nothing to do with Hezekiah. I want you to note this because we'll get to that verse that all parents who have prodigals hold on to. We won't get to it till the end of the life of Manasseh. But we need to remember that all of these children that we are raising all have a free will. And most of the time, it doesn't involve us. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't do our part that we are instructed by God to do, to give them the Bible and to train up a child. Oh, I'm heading into that verse. Our role is important. But at the end of the day, listen, I I need to speak to anybody. I don't care what your age is and what your prodigal is. It's not necessarily your fault. If it is, go to your prodigal and repent. That'll be pretty important impactful, won't it? But if it wasn't, if you raised them in the church and they walked away and pulled a Manasseh on you, let's see if you have hope by the end of the chapter, amen? Let's get perky towards the end because Manasseh is not a perky guy. For 27 years, he does evil in the sight of the Lord. Not only that, He rebuilt the high places, which Dad, Hezekiah, his father, had broken down, and he raised up the altars to the Baals and made wooden images, and he worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. So he worshipped the Zodiac. Don't think the Zodiac is new. It's from Egypt. Don't you ever play with that stuff. I'm so glad we don't have newspapers anymore. I mean, actual physical newspapers that had the their sign in it, their daily horoscope. I'm sure they've got an app for that, but burn it. Oh, that's the judgment of God. So we shouldn't be playing around with that stuff. It's all pagan. Don't even think about it. We see that out of here. He worshiped the host and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord. It wasn't enough to have the paganism outside. He brought the paganism inside of the church. <laughs> oh, Of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the host of heavens in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He brought the zodiac inside of the house of the Lord. Not only that, I mean... He caused his sons to pass through the fire of the valley of the son of Hinoam. That is the worship of Molech. He burned his own children in the fire. He sacrificed his own children. Let's go through the list. He practiced Susain, used witchcraft, sorcery, consulted mediums and spiritists, and he did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Pause. That list alone. And you think of yourself, why is God not blowing this guy up? Anybody else thinking that? Who else is sinful like me thinking that? are like, Lord, just blow him up. Get rid of this guy. You've got rid of kings for less than this. His son's only going to reign for a couple of years. He's evil too. Why this guy? Because the nation deserved it. No one wants to hear that. That oftentimes a nation gets exactly what it deserves. Now, don't apply that to today. (laughs) That's simply just a run-of-the-mill point. Everybody, amen. I don't know what God's doing. I hope he's getting us our one-way ticket out of here. I don't know what he's doing. It could totally change tomorrow. I mean, listen, with the year we've had, things change all the time. And I got a lift up for my redemption draws nigh. That's all I got. He's on the throne. So this is a wicked guy in verse 6. Not only that, as Kings tells us that he shed much blood and the prophets... Tradition tells us that he sawed Isaiah in half on the steps of the temple. Sawed him in half. That's why in Hebrews 11, in the Heroes of Faith, it mentions that. Notice it provoked the Lord to anger. And he even set a carved image and the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I put my name forever. And I will not again remove my foot from Israel and from the land, which I have appointed for your fathers, only, look at that word, only if they are careful to do all that I have commanded them according to the whole law. The statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. So when it says in verse 7, so not only does he, he governmentally fund the paganism in the, in the nation of Judah, publicly funding temples to be made, we're going to see in a minute causing the people of Israel to go along with that and seducing them to do that, but he even goes inside of the Holy of Holies into the temple and he takes images of Ashtoreth. These are pornographic images, Jewish tradition tells us, into the temple of God. (laughs) Who else is thinking, Lord, where's the fire? Where is the fire? Now, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around this scene a little bit because for 27 years, God allows this guy to do what he is doing. God often allows people to do what they're going to do for 27 years. Five years, 10 years, 50 years. God has a purpose for this man. How can you say that? Well, because I know the rest of the account. Hopefully you read ahead. You knew about this man, Manasseh. Let's continue. It gets fun. (laughs) How could it get fun? Because it's amazing. What happens here? And so verse 9 says, So Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, here it is, to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Listen, if you're going to sin, you might as well be the best sinner there is. Manasseh's like, I'm going to take it to a new level, people. And what was the new level? Government-funded sin. Government-funded whatever. Whatever feels good to you, fine, good. Well, as long as it's not Christianity. Can't have that. But everything else is allowed. Now, it looks bleak, doesn't it? If you're a godly person in Judah living in Jerusalem during this time, how bummed out are you? Anyone? You're living in a country filled with, hypothetically think about it for a minute. You're living in a country filled with immorality with a wicked leader, a wicked Congress, who now will have all control and do whatever they want to do and fund whatever Planned Parenthood could ever dream up in their little twisted mind and fund whatever project at university. Or Did anyone hear about Bill Gates wanting to block out the sun? Are we on the moron bandwagon lately? This guy is supposed to be the smartest guy, and they want to block out the sun because of global warming. By the way, someone brought that to my attention after Sunday because I was talking about how the sun will go black, and they're like, (laughs) could that possibly, and they were a little freaked out. They're like, did you read that article? I'm like, no, and then I read it, and I'm like, that's kind of funny. (laughs) Maybe God's going to use Bill Gates to, uh... (laughs) stranger things have happened. It's 2021. (laughs) All right, let's get back. So the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they wouldn't listen. Prophet after prophet, God brought before Manasseh and to the people, and they wouldn't listen. So what do you think the Lord's going to do? 27 years. He has been trying to get the nation's attention for 27 years. Trying to get their attention. Prophet after prophet comes into town trying to tell them to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and they kill them. It says that Manasseh filled the streets of Jerusalem with much blood and with the prophets and the seers. Again, read 2 Kings chapter 21. You'll read exactly what they chronicled him doing. Therefore, but by the way, there will always be a therefore when it comes to God. Therefore, the Lord brought up the captains and the armies of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. Now, when it means hooks, it means exactly what that means. And I've described many times the procedure of the, As- the Assyrians, which would strip the-, the people naked, take a fish hook, and run it through their cheek, through a piece of chain. And that's how they would keep the people going. Now, notice what it says. They don't take him to Assyria because the Assyrian nation is declining. They take him to the next world power, which is Babylon. Now, verse 12. When he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. This is where the account changes. For 27 years, Manasseh has been doing his own thing, has been taking his own path, creating his own religion, walking in his own ways, whatever his heart desires, and all of a sudden, God brings this new world power, and now he is in Babylon. Would you note with me this word, affliction? And we look at a word like that and we go, Lord, that doesn't seem very fair, but affliction can do several things. Affliction can do to somebody like Manasseh, think about this, you're the king, and the king has everything under the sun, and he's got a hook in his jaw, probably naked or not very clothed very well, sitting in a Babylonian, dirty, rotten, stinking jail cell. Anybody think that's going to get your attention? Didn't it get the attention of the prodigal son who was in the pit with the pigs, saying, my father's servants have it better than I do? And I like that word affliction. We don't often like it when it happens to us. But God allows affliction to happen to the prodigal to get his attention. Now, the the hardest prayer to pray, parent, bring the affliction, bring the Babylon to your own child. It's hard, isn't it? It's very hard. But you also know... The way that I raised that child is the way that Manasseh was raised because Manasseh was raised with a godly father, Hezekiah, who taught him the ways of the Lord. Hezekiah and Isaiah were helping Manasseh in the beginning of his life. And at some point, his affliction kicks in and he implored, now how do I know this is real? Because it says, he implored the Lord, his God. In that cell, God became real to Manasseh, the worst king that Judah has ever seen. I told you it was going to get perky. It's not done yet. But isn't that good news? If we read, and then he died, wouldn't we go, thank the Lord, he's in heaven. Great. Great. That's not what happened. He implored the Lord is God. Here it is. Like most people's problem, he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Now, I think it's interesting that the Holy Spirit tells us the God of his fathers, specifically Hezekiah. And in that cell, who does he hear in his head? His father telling him about what God has done for the nation of Israel and all those accounts that he he told him and the law of Moses that if you would seek the Lord with all of your heart and repent and turn from your wicked ways, there I will meet you. And he prayed to him and he received entreaty or favor and God heard his supplication. And he brought, he brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. And then Manasseh knew that the Lord was his God. Not only do we see the greatest redemption in all of the Bible next to Saul of Tarsus, who was killing Christians, who God poured his grace upon him, who became Paul later on we would agree, probably one of the greatest individuals in all the Bible. And now we have Manasseh, who is one of the most wicked, who is afflicted by God, and God by his grace. Would we not agree that God could have just allowed him to die, and that would have been good? But he doesn't do that. What does he do? Let's read it again. He brings him back to his homeland of Jerusalem and to his kingdom. He gave it back to him. He said, all right, let me paraphrase. (laughs) Let me paraphrase God. All right, Manasseh, I see genuine repentance out of you. I see your heart steadfast to the things of the Lord. I'm going to give you an opportunity to prove it. And he put him on his throne again. Then it says, Manasseh knew that the Lord was his God. He continues in verse 14. Now, after this, what's the this? That all that transpired. He built a wall outside of the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate, and enclosed Ophel, and he raised it to a very great height. Anybody know why? (laughs) Because he was just in Babylon. And Babylon has some of the biggest walls, the tallest walls. He saw all of the great army of Babylon. And he's like, we have got to fortify. And so he does that. And he raised it to a very great height. And then he put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. Please note with me, this isn't just saying it, he's doing it. He took away the foreign gods and the idols from the house of the Lord, and all the altars which he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, and he cast them away out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord, which means he did the damage. Do you see that? Hezekiah didn't. The temple was running. This is Manasseh's fault. Manasseh, broke his own altar to the Lord, and now God is saying, okay, repair it. Maybe you have broken that fellowship with God. It is on you. It's on me to repair that, not God. It's on us to repair that, to bring it back. So he repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed a peace offering and a thanks offering on it, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Now, this is the same king that enticed his people before to do great wickedness. How do you think this is going to go? Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed on the high places, only to the Lord their God. Now, the rest of the Acts of Manasseh, his prayer to his God, And the words of the seer, which spoke to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel, indeed are they not written in the book of the kings of Israel. Now the problem is, we don't know what that book is because we don't have it. We don't have his prayer, and we don't have the prayers of the seer. I would love to read them, but for whatever reason, God has chosen us not to have that. So we move on. And his prayer. I mean, I would love to hear that prayer in the cell. Wouldn't you love to hear that (laughs) gel cell prayer? And how God received His entreaty and all of His sins and His trespasses and the site where He built the high places and set up the wooden images and carved images before He was humbled Indeed, are they not written among the saints of Hosea? And again, we just don't have that. And so Manasseh rested with his fathers. And they buried him in his own house. And then his son Amnon reigned in his stead. His repentance was too late to change his own nation. For 27 years, he had caused immorality and government-funded immorality in his nation. And a people will always go to the lesser than the greater. It's like two parents. If one parent is godly and going to church, and you have a parent that is not godly going to, the, to church, the child will typically go to the one who is lesser. Well, why does dad have, get to stay home, right? Right? They don't, that's human nature, that's sinful nature. People want ease. They want what they want rather than what is hard and difficult, like getting up and coming to 9 a.m. service, you second service people. His repentance was too late to change the nation. And I was thinking about that just before I came up here. Is it too late for our nation? I don't know all I know is we have had government funded iniquity for decades and one good king coming in doesn't change the hearts of people is it too late for our nation is Babylon at the door and we're still asleep I try to want it to be perky towards the end, but let's talk about Amnon, shall we? He was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. So short reign. Notice with me in verse 22, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done, for Abnon sacrificed to all the carved images which his father Manasseh had made, and he served them. But he did not humble himself before the Lord as his father Manasseh had humbled himself. And Abnon trespassed more and more. So here's what's weird, or here's, let's play it out. We got Hezekiah, good. Manasseh, bad, then good. Son, Abnon, bad. After dad is good. Anyone confused? So it doesn't guarantee that the child is going to be good. The child knows about his, great, his grandfather, Hezekiah. I'm sure by this time, Manasseh, who is good, is telling the stories to his son, Abnon, about Hezekiah, about David, about Solomon. But it doesn't guarantee that he will be a good king. Notice he did not humble himself before the Lord. As his father Manasseh had humbled himself, but Abdon trespassed more and more. Then his servants conspired against him and killed him in his own house. (laughs) Rough to be the king. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Abdon. And then the people of the the land made Josiah his uh, king in his stead. Now, Next time we're together, we'll get into Josiah and how he's eight years old when he becomes king and he reigns for 31 years. But you're going to see this progression time and time again. You have a good king, you have a bad king. Then you have a good king or you have a couple of bad kings. But Manasseh becomes something different. He's something different in the Bible. Something, again, that no other king has done. And listen, without reading it in Chronicles, you don't get the full picture of this king because in kings, it doesn't give the end of Manasseh's life. What does that tell us? We need to, we need to get all of the facts before we make our choice. And we should not use emotion to make our choices in our decisions. We should let God's word dictate to us And help us through the path. But we thank God. Are you ready for this? I thank God for Manasseh. Even in his wickedness. Because it brought him to a place of affliction. God used used that affliction to bring him to a place of repentance. And then the last part of his days. 26 years of his life. He spent rebuilding all that he tore down. And he rebuild his relationship. What does that tell us at the end? It's not too late to repair your relationship with God. Not only that, it's not too late to get saved. I don't care what age you are. It is high time to get saved on planet Earth. Today is the day of salvation. And it doesn't matter what you did for 27 years before. God's grace, amen as long as you humble yourself and call the Lord your God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the life of King Hezekiah and Lord for his son, Manasseh. We have many Manassas in our lives. Perhaps you too have a Manasseh as a child, and they are wayward. And we pray, Lord, for the affliction, as hard as that may be, to call upon our own children's affliction so that they would come to a saving knowledge of you. Lord, we want to see our children with us in eternity. And Lord, we pray for, th- for them and where they are, even in the midst of complete and utter wickedness. I I can't imagine the life of Manasseh before Jesus. Lord, our children are in that same place. Some of them are addicted to drugs or alcohol or immorality or wherever they are. And we don't see any hope for them. But there was hope for Manasseh. And it was to humble themselves and cry out to God. And so, Lord, thank you for His life and His example for us today. And Lord, we do pray for our own nation, and we pray that this nation is is not too far gone, that its people will humble themselves and cry out to You for the wickedness, the government-funded wickedness. Lord, we pray for what is coming, and we pray for resolve in the church We pray for believers to stand up in the wickedness of our day. Thank you, Lord, again, that we meet together as the body of Christ. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand.